0: Welcome to Episode 40 Overview of a Comprehensive Dialectical Behavior Therapy Program by Patricia Gieselman, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist from Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Welcome. Patricia Gieselman here. I'm a marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and I'm here to talk today about looking and offering you an overview of what a comprehensive uh, dialectical behavior therapy program looks like. Um, We call it DBT, uh, just because it takes too long to say dialectical behavior therapy. (laughs) DBT was developed by Marsha Linehan um, about she published her book, her first text in 1993, so had done a lot of randomized trials before that. We've learned a lot about the use of DBT since then, and so today I'm going to just give you an uh, overview to look at if you wanted to provide a full comprehensive DBT program, what the different components would look like and what you'd be looking at. So let's let's just get started. I want to really focus on the the five functions of a comprehensive DBT program today. If all five functions are there, we're not doing full DBT because we need to meet those five functions. We also want to look at the treatment components that are required for a DBT program to be research-based. So here we go. Let's just kind of go through this. And in further um, courses, We'll take some of these pieces and break them down a little bit more. This is just an overview. So first of all, what does DBT treat? DBT treats emotion dysregulation and the related problem behaviors that kind of shoot out of the hose um, due to the fact that a person has difficulty regulating their emotion. Uh, DBT is the gold standard for treating suicidal and non-suicidal self-harming behaviors. It's currently one of the three empirically supported treatments for borderline personality disorder. Uh, DBT is the most commonly sought after it's got uh, more than um, way more than 20 research studies now conducted uh, regarding this the, uh, the gold standard for borderline personality disorder. Another treatment for borderline personality disorder is metallization with uh, Bateman and Founay and also general psychiatric management uh, John Gunderson's uh, program. So these all have research efficacy. And again, the, the, the best known and the most researched at this point is DBT. Some of the current research that's being applied to a wide range of individuals, including children and adolescents, supports the use of DBT with, of course, suicidality and non-suicidal self-injury, reduced treatment dropout, um, the reduction in hospitalization overuse, and as I said before, behavior problems that, that kind of are generated when we have difficulty regulating our emotions. I don't know if you've ever uh, done something that later had unintended consequences when you were really upset about something. I'm, I'm assuming so. I know it certainly has happened to me. Another thing that's treating well is substance use disorders, particularly when those substance use disorders are related to ways to avoid or escape emotional discomfort, or to um, kind of mask um, pain. Uh, eating disorders, it's being used with bulimia and uh, eating, other eating disorders at this time. Anorexia is just starting to be uh, looked at, the, the, the research trials I, I don't know that are, that are clearly done yet. I know there's some out there. But bulimia and disordered eating and uh, binge eating, those kinds of things there's some real strong um, work being done in that area. Treatment of resistant depression in the elderly, uh, that's something that's been researched and shown effective with uh, DBT. Um, Alan Frasetti has done a lot of work with highly dysregulated couples and families. Um, and recently we've got some lovely work that's that's been done in using DBT to treat children ages 7 to 12 who have explosive disorders related to um, dysregulation problems, emotion dysregulation problems. So it's pretty exciting to see that what started out as using for high-level um, hospitalization utilizers, severely multiple suicidal, multiple di- diagnosed, now DBT is starting to really show significance in a lot of other areas where many of us as clinicians treat on a regular basis. So um, I think we can really say that DBT is effective for people who have emotions or behaviors that interfere with important goals in their lives or those who simply have difficulty managing emotions and behaviors. DBT will help replace those behaviors that create problems with more skillful behaviors. DBT helps people create a life worth living, which is basically one of the first things we look at when a person comes into a comprehensive treatment program. We're going to say, what do you want? What would make your life worth waking up to every day? What would bring you joy? So the first thing we ask them is, what are your life worth living goals? What do you want? So it's like all of us want a life that has both positive and negative experiences. And because we have that, can't really get away from the negative experiences but to be able to experience all of the emotions not just preferred emotions to be able to experience joy sadness anger contentment fear envy you know disgust sadness all those things that are part of a life worth living and it includes all emotions and recognize that they all exist and are valuable and can be tolerated uh, my friend and, and uh, dear colleague, Kelly Kerner, uh, who wrote a book called Doing DBT back in 2012, who does a really great job of going through and explaining how to do individual DBT services. That'd be a great place for you to look. It's in your bibliography that you got with this course too. But anyway, quote from her is, difficulty regulating emotion means difficulty regulating most areas of one's life. Most of what we do and who we are depends on mood stability and adequate emotion regulation. She goes on to say the same action may feel easy or hard depending on our mood. Now, most of us have experienced that um, in our lives. Um, Maybe we've been very, very tired and found that we were a little more edgy or irritable. Uh, When we're ill, our vulnerabilities are higher. Uh, any of you have had children, you know you've lost sleep, both when they're little and when they're teenagers probably, but it's like we're more emotionally vulnerable, we're more likely to be reactive rather than responsive, and these skills not only apply to our clients, they apply to us, and using these skills and strategies to regulate our own emotions in the face of difficult clients, of difficult situations in our lives, and just you know, having really good social emotional skills. So it was originally designed to treat individuals with severe and chronic difficulties to treat mental health disorders. DBT is team-based, which means uh, if someone comes into my program, they will have a primary individual therapist, but they may have one of the other therapists in the clinic be be one of their two skills leaders. So it's a team-based program. Some therapists do the, the skills training, while others do the individual for that, that same client and vice versa. It's both evidence-based and principle-driven. And the underlying principles of DBT involve what's called the biosocial theory. We'll get into that more depth in um, other courses. But the biosocial theory essentially is, is, is goes back to the dialectic that we keep talking about, because the ty- dialectic is two opposing concepts. But then you're looking at finding the kernel of truth in both sides and then synthesizing those to find kind of a middle path. So the biosocial theory says that an individual may come into the world uh, emotionally vulnerable, more sensitive than the average bear, uh, more um, responsive to stimuli or other things. So they come in maybe into the world as a sensitive individual, and then they may come into an environment that isn't a, a, a great fit for them. Of course, you've got abusive environments. Those are called invalidating environments, but sometimes porn is a fit is what's going on rather than uh, abusive parents or, you know, things like that. In, in other treatments, we talk about secure attachment. You know, in DBT, we talk about the ability to, to have um, a, an environment that supports our ability to regulate our emotion, that teaches us how to tolerate big emotions, that teaches us how to that models actually how to to do that and folks who have not had that um, experience in childhood or early adolescence are able to learn those emotion regulation skills in dbt so it's a really a no shame based no blame based treatment that looks at both bio the, the biological pieces we bring into the world with our temperament and social learning that comes from the environment that we grow up in. uh, And and not just families, but schools, you know, the the community. It also, one of the principles, requires a mindful presence of the therapist, which means I need, as a DVT therapist, also practice being fully present and to be able to observe and describe uh, both my client and my own behaviors non-judgmentally in order to be effective in this treatment. So the neat thing about learning DBT is it really influences your own skills as well, not just professionally, but personally. So when we talk about dialectics, the primary dialectic, and by the way, this is just Kantian philosophy. If you remember thesis and antithesis that then comes together as a synthesis, pardon my lith, my synthesis, and then that creates in and it of itself another dialectic you know, of, of two polar opposites. And that's it just moves on and on. And that's how change happens. The primary dialectic in DBT is acceptance on one end and change on the other. And you're going to see in every part of the treatment a dialectical stance where we're looking at uh, opposing forces that we're looking for uh, synthesis in so acceptance and change those are completely opposite i totally accept you exactly the way you are and if you want your life to have a different uh, experience or being able to have those life with living uh, goals that you want you may need to, t- to change so there's a, a common man's kind of a poem or prayer if you will that is used in the 12-step programs called the serenity prayer and it says uh, god grant me the Um, acceptance to, no, I got that wrong. Grant me the, sorry, grant me the serenity to accept those things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That kind of poem is basically the, kind of a common man's version of what we're talking about with DBT. It's acceptance fully 100% of who I am and who you are, not what you should be or I wish you were, And on the other hand, the courage to really make some difficult changes that um, we've used to cope with. So a lot of what we call bad habits or um, addictive behaviors or avoidance strategies, they're ways to try and protect. They're ways to to try and manage manage pain. And we're asking you to apply different skills and strengths to learn new, more adaptive ways to manage that. DBT also has um, dialectical strategies and skills. So there's there's equal stuff on the acceptance side throughout treatment in both individual and in skills development and on the change side. So the, um, the, the primary uh, acceptance strategy in DBT is validation. And that means I'm going to hear you and accept you and accept your premise without trying to change you, and then I'm also going to help you find ways to change. So you've got, on one end, the acceptance end of the primary dialectic. You've got validation, which is acceptance and hearing. On the other end, you've got problem solving, which I'm going to help you learn how to better solve your problems in ways that get the outcomes you want. These skills are also divided up in the same way. You've got two modules of DBT skills that are on the acceptance side, and you've got two that are on the change side. Uh, DBT from a treatment perspective has a triage approach and there's a treatment hierarchy that we follow so if somebody comes in um, we start with the highest level of uh, dangerous symptoms first and then work our way down so in our program for pre-treatment for DBT pre-treatment we're gonna spend the first three to four weeks uh, getting folks to identify their life with living goals making lists of the problems that are getting in the way of getting to those goals, getting a commitment to target behaviors. We call target behaviors those things that we're going to actually tangibly treat that are under the client's control to work on in treatment. And then we're going to contract to an agreed upon length of time. Now, it takes roughly 24 sessions, six weeks to get through a full um, program of all the DBT skills. So we usually contract for one month of pre-treatment, and then if they make a commitment, they get their goals, they identify the, the specific target behaviors they're willing to treat and want to work on to get to those life worth living goals, then we'll contract for six months while they go through individual DBT treatment as well as a weekly skills uh, individual or class together to get through all the modules. If the, If the symptoms are high enough and the therapist assesses uh that they need the uh more than that six month period then we contract for a year and we say listen based on your high level of suicidality or self-harming or really high diagnostic problems we're going to ask you to make a commitment to a year and then at that point we'll recontract for either another six month or a year um, the, the the shortest amount of time in our program is seven months. It's the the four weeks of assessment and then the first six months of commitment to um, ongoing DBT training. So then we get into actual treatment, which is after that first four weeks, we treat stage one behaviors first. Now stage one is to decrease any severe behavioral discontrol related to emotion dysregulation. Uh, those would be your suicide communications, your suicide attempts, um, actions that are dangerous to others, in life-threatening. Um, just uh, those are examples. And then the next thing that we put on that stage one are what's called therapy interfering behaviors. Those would be examples. Now, there's therapy interfering behaviors of the client, and also of the therapist that we'll talk in another other courses. Um, just for an example, a therapy interfering behavior of a therapist would be picking up their, their cell phone while they're in session, which would, yeah, that would be considered therapy interfering on the therapist's part. On the client's part, it's a dosage issue. Let's say they miss every other session. So we would now be targeting, we'd get a commitment to target attendance, a target showing up for session on time, a target for... Uh, Doing their homework their skills homework or their individual homework. Those kinds of things are examples of therapy interfering behaviors in other types of therapy um, It's it's called resistance Um, We don't look at as resistance. We think it's a problem to be solved because the likelihood is if um, Attendance doing tasks and assignments as agreed upon um, being places on time those are oftentimes life structuring problems and so one of the five functions is to structure the environment so we take these as problems to be solved rather than something wrong with the client or or lack of motivation or lack of willingness we look first at do they have the capability of being able to structure their life in such a way that these things can happen and then the third level of stage one treatment is what we call quality of life interfering behaviors these would be at the highest level: staying out of jail, staying out of the hospitals, um, being able to hold down a job, being able to stay in a uh, stable relationship. Um, what else? Um, things like uh, anger issues that interfere with their daily living or with with keeping all of these things. So that's stage one. So stage one of treatment, we want to get rid of those behaviors that are interfering with a person reaching their life worth living goals. Uh, In stage two, now we're looking at, by the way, we don't move to stage two until we've gotten at least the the life-threatening behaviors, the therapy-interfering behaviors out of the way. Uh, We may move to stage two and kind of jump back and forth in stage one and stage two when we're looking at quality of life-interfering behaviors for some things. Uh, but stage two is where, in other treatments, you would talk about um, uh, working with trauma. We don't address trauma uh, until we get those big behaviors down. For the very reason that, you know, those of you who've been in the therapy world long enough or learning the therapy world recognize that when those um, those traumatic uh, memories or or incidents start getting discussed, it, we, we need resourcing. We need to be able to have something that keeps me from using my problem behaviors to kind of get into that tough material. So we make sure in DBT that those big behaviors are off the table first so we don't run into suicide attempts or big other big behaviors when we're addressing uh, traumatic material. So we're looking at reducing in, in stage two. We're also looking at reducing avoidance of emotional experiencing a lot of the clients that come to DBT really struggle with some of the emotions um, that, that are problematic. Uh, when I was working with um, aggressive teenagers in residential care, um, uh, these, were all, these were all boys, uh, a lot of times the thing that really we saw over and over what was anger or, or behaviors related to anger, problem behaviors, punching each other and that kind of stuff. Or, you know, other, other kinds of, of violent uh, explosions. And part of their problem was they, they only would, would deal with certain emotions. They really struggled with even identifying disappointment or identifying sadness. Not all of them, of course, but this was a lot of these kids. So anger shot out of the hose and behaviors around anger. It's like my way of dealing with an, an, an embarrassment or a shameful emotion would be to get mad at you, to punch you, to get you to stop, so that I don't have to experience emotions that are uncomfortable for me. So we wanna we wanna be able to expose people to the ability to experience a difficult emotion rather than avoiding it through a problem behavior or another avoidant behavior. We wanna improve both emotion regulation, both heightened regulation or inhibited you know emotion. I, I have I don't get enough emotion to activate me sometimes if I'm severely depressed. So I want to be able to both heighten emotion uh, expression or if it's through the roof, get it down a little bit so that I can think clearly. Uh, Any of us, when we're upset enough, we don't think well. Um, Cognitively, we get impaired. So it's like, I need to be able to stay kind of in that middle of the road. If I'm looking at a five of emotion dysregulation as a tsunami and a zero is kind of meh, I'm looking for a two or three around there that I can really do my best work, my best decision making. So we're teaching skills to help people upregulate or downregulate emotion. And we do some of that in stage one as well. Stage two, we kind of in, in, enhance on a little bit. We also look at self-invalidation. Many of the folks that come to treatment both in dbt and others have real difficulty with not being punishing to themselves so and maybe have never developed any self-validation skills so they're constantly calling themselves names or labeling or judging themselves with with negative terminology which we know never helps learning and then we'll be looking in stage two at some inhibited grieving emptiness boredom kind of that that sense of identity I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You know, even if I'm 56, it's like that. I don't know where my passion is and really looking at that. Stage three, that's kind of a single diagnosis, reducing problems in living, looking at ordinary happiness and unhappiness and you know, improving improving, getting around life's problems. And stage four, which is at this point, least defined and least researched is Dr. Linehan's stage four, which is looking at incompleteness or capacity for freedom the primary work I do in a comprehensive dbt treatment program is stages one through three a lot of most of my work is stages um, one and two I would say in a comprehensive program stage three is where we have things like eating disorders so we do have some stage three uh, behaviors that we work on Um, but it's like this is kind of the whole whole package that we're looking at here so How do I know if I'm doing evidence-based DBT? Um, One of the struggles that a comprehensive DBT program looks at is a lot of the folks that come to us have had really serious um, problems, either suicidal or self-harming or, you know, serious addictions and things like that. And um, they say we want to be in a, a DBT treatment program or someone referred them to a DBT treatment program and they said, I tried DBT and it didn't work. Well, I said, well, let's talk about the DBT that you had. And the DBT that they had, maybe um, a clinician found some really good skills in a DBT workbook and offered them those, but didn't have all the comprehensive pieces that are required for treating a high level of symptomology when it's emotion uh, dysregulation based. So, If you go to my website, um, www.choices.care, C-A-R-E, there's a DBT link, and when you click there, you can go to a section called uh, the DBT checklist, and there that lists all the requirements for a full comprehensive DBT program. So when you want to refer a client to a comprehensive DBT program, you can have your client ask the provider, Uh, or you can ask the the provider you're referring to, the 12 questions on the checklist to determine if they're offering a full comprehensive program. So take a look at that. That may be helpful. Um, We've had people come and say DBT doesn't work, but they weren't getting DBT uh, in in the full sense. Um, It's important to me as a DBT clinician to be able to offer all the components if I'm going to be offering DBT. Now we can talk more uh, at other times about how you would use different parts of DBT without claiming that you're doing the the full program. So, um, I mean, the recent research talks about the importance of DBT skills alone and how that can be helpful with some symptomology. So that's very encouraging to know. So let's talk about what are the required components. You have to offer all, the program has to offer all four of the DBT treatment modalities. That's individual DBT therapy weekly. That's one time a week. And then in the same week, every week, they either attend a DBT skills group that teaches the four skills modules, or that could be taught in an individual second session. The program needs to offer phone coaching between sessions. Um, it's, It's crisis intervention and it's not. Because the emphasis of phone coaching is to is to offer skills coaching and guidance before they get to their target behavior. So let's say for example, the target behavior they're working on is um, cutting behavior that they cut with a blade on their arm. Uh, not suicidal, just... Um, non-suicidal self-injury um so we're working on we're working on and that's their target behavior so if that's what they're working on then i would want them to reach out to me if they're my client i want them to reach out to me before they do that target behavior before they cut because if they cut we have learned with this i'm just going to use an example of alice this particular client in in studying her case and doing our assessments together between me and Alice what we realized was that the function of cutting for her decreases her anxiety and it works very quickly and it works it works well for her it's worked for over and over again so not only does she have a dysfunctional behavior that's effective in reducing anxiety it also gets reinforced over and over because the more we do something the more we do something you and I know that If, if any of you have any habits that the more you do them the more you do them (laughs) so because we do what works that's what people do so what I'd want this Alice to do was first of all we'd have her fill out a phone coaching sheet which she and I have developed to be able to say okay these are my go-to skills before I'm going to use any target behavior like cutting so she her job is to fill out that skills coaching sheet to write down the things she's going to use and then to use them for at least 15 minutes before she contacts me. And then she's going to contact me. And at that point, I'm going to not do therapy with her over the phone. We're going to say, okay, tell me what's going on. What skills have you used? Okay, I want you to try this. Now tell me how you're gonna use that. So we're just getting them to apply the skills. We're not gonna try and debrief, we're not gonna go over anything else other than we may get a commitment to not use the the target behavior. So skills coaching is, is something that a lot of people, they hear about DBT saying you have to offer, you know, between session coaching. Honestly, I do a lot less uh, phone work uh, in dbt than i ever did as a um um, a therapist using other modalities because it was kind of used as a a a way to solve the problem the phone call was rather than to help assist them to use the coaching on their own to be able to get through this tough moment without using it so it's neat a neat skill and it actually works quite well Uh, we're wanting folks to generalize these skills in the real world so just like you know if we're you know coaching a football team and you know, we're not gonna go out there the day of the big game and say, okay, guys, let's learn a new skill. Or gals, we're gonna say, we're gonna say, let's, you know, let's try this piece, let's drill it, let's try it on on something that's easy, let's try it on a team that we know we can beat, not the toughest team in town. So practicing these skills and coaching is part of the homework for um between session work. So it's it really is quite effective. People start and, and they folks call us too. You know, proud because they used a skill instead of, of needing to, to do something different. Uh, it's a way to reinforce them. So, and the, the fourth component, so let me go over the four again. All four treatment modalities. Each week you have individual DBT therapy. You have DBT skills or individual skills session every week. You have phone coaching as needed. And then the fourth component and the treatment modalities here is if you're doing DBT, then you need, as a therapist, to participate in a DBT consultation team every week. So in order to be a DBT therapist, one of the requirements is to be a member of a DBT consultation team. Uh, In that team, we use... um, it's really not case conceptualization. We do that in another format or an individual supervision with um, a DBT supervisor. In DBT consultation team, what we're doing really is, is using the DBT skills to help us improve our work with our clients. So I may come to team one day and, and the, we rotate leadership of the team and the team leader may say, who, who, wants, who needs time today? And I might say, listen, I need time. I've got a really suicidal client and I'm scared and I really need help from my team to not get caught in my fear and not be effective. So then my team will work with me to use my skills to help me manage that. Or I may say, look, I'm really having trouble with assessment. I'm wondering what's missing. Uh, Team's job is to help us, again, another dialectic, we've got polar opposites, one therapist may say, I think this client, you know, needs to be finished with treatment. Another cli- a therapist may say, I think this client just needs, needs more time to figure it out. And then the, somebody on the team may say, so what are we missing? What What's missing here? And we'll come to a synthesis of how to best serve this client. So it also provides support to enhance therapist capabilities, to reduce uh, burnout, compassion fatigue, all those things that... We as therapists have to deal with. Uh, we also back each other up. I kind of think my uh, my con- my DBT consultation team. I see them as like, you know, the if I, if I have a hand, it's my right hand, and all the fingers of the different people on the team. They all act differently. They all have bring different skills and and different talents to the team, but they all work as a hand when we're dealing with. It's, it's a community of DBT therapists dealing with a community of clients that's kind of a lovely thing and provides a lot of support okay so let's go over what are the five functions of dbt that are required in order for me to say come to my dbt program we do these things so first it's to enhance client capabilities and we do that in the individual skills uh, training groups or Individual skills training, if they need individual skills training. We like to do our skills training in groups because people learn from each other. Uh, what you don't want to do is kind of split a session and do individual therapy and then try and teach, teach skills because it just it doesn't work. It keeps bleeding into therapy, and um, you want two different meetings for that. So in enhance client capability. I'm actually going to teach you skills of how to regulate your emotions. I'm not going to assume you're not motivated. I'm My first assumption is... If you knew how to do it, you'd do it. So I'm just going to say, let me offer you some skills. I have 28 different um, types of distress tolerance skills I can teach you to try and and be in a bad situation without making it worse. 26 of them don't work. Okay, use the 27th. Um, So we're going to try and enhance their capabilities, their skill set to regulate their emotion. We're going to model that too. So in skills training, we will model uh, how to validate. We will model uh, shaping. We will model um, maybe maybe a story of how I struggled at something and then were, it was able to use this skill to regulate my emotions and be able to improve the situation or pro- solve a problem. The second function that must be met if you're in doing full DBT is you have to ensure... Um, generalization to the natural environment. Um, I want you to be a good DBT skills participant, I want you to be a great DBT client, and I want you to take everything you're learning and be able to apply it at work, at home, at school, when you're home alone, uh, when you're afraid, you know, when you're angry, you know, when life comes up and and, and is hurtful to you, when you're disappointed, uh, when unfairness happens, you know, when when someone's unkind, to be able to apply it to the natural environment. So both skills, class, and individual therapy have homework assignments to go try this. Um, and even as part as the individual uh, therapy goes, you know, we practice in session what we're going to ask them to do out in the real world. So ensuring that generalization, that's done in the telephone coaching that's done in, if you're doing DBT in like a residential care program, it's your, your staff, your behavioral staff that are on the floor there coaching as we go. When I did this in residential care, it was great because I was able to tra- train up all of the, uh, the line staff, the behavioral staff who worked with these kids day and night to be able to help them coach a skill when it's midnight and they can't go to sleep. You know, let's, let's walk through a skill you can use. Let's practice. So, it really is neat to be able to have that and have your, your uh, behavioral staff in that environment trained up with DBT as well. So, the telephone coaching I'm at the grocery store. My, my client calls me from the grocery store. Um, they're really having a rough time because a clerk didn't treat them well or they misunderstood what was said. I may not be able to answer that call right then. I may be in session with somebody else. So, we also do a lot of orientation around phone coaching that says, look, You're calling me for coaching. The act of reaching out to do that is is an act of doing something different in the moment and may help you get back into your problem-solving mind and out of your emotion mind a little bit. So um, the deal is that I've made with my client is you're not going to act on your target behavior. You're not going to act on your cutting until you and I have talked. So I train a lot. I teach a lot. I'm out of town a lot. I tell people, look, you know. I may not be the right DBT therapist for you. You may have to wait until I get off this training gig and get to a place where I can call you. I will call you the very second I can. So do we have an agreement? And we'll get a handshake on that. So that's ensuring generalization to the natural environment. Uh, the the ho- homework in um, <clears throat> individual therapy too, and, and in skills, is go out and try this out there. So that's ensuring generalization. Um, another one of the factors is improving motivational factors so that happens in individual therapy my my dbt therapist and me as a client we are a team in this and we're working together to motivate each other to stay motivated Um, i suspect that some of you have had clients and i just always ask this is think of the client that you kind of hope doesn't show up this week, (laughs) you know, that one that, oh, that, that client is, it, it, she's or she is challenging, you know, they, um, question me all the time. They don't do their homework. They don't, um, they, they just want to talk about their problem and don't get to a solution. Uh, and I'm going, oh, makes me tired. So we need to have the client. And one of the, the rules that we ask people to follow is, Your job as a client is to keep me motivated and working with you. And my job as your individual therapist is to keep you motivated working in DBT. So we have to work together. Um, In one of the the courses, if we uh, get to talk about individual therapy, we'll spend a little more time doing that. A fourth function in DBT is to enhance the therapist's capabilities and motivation to treat effectively. And that's that team consult I was talking about, the DBT consult team that meets every week um, we meet without fail, you know, we reschedule if there's a holiday. We see that as, as as important of treatment tool as anything else we do in DBT. And the last function is to structure the environment. Now, structuring the environment, if, if my primary way of being in the world is to follow my emotion or do mood driven behavior, then My life can get kind of chaotic. And I think each of us can probably look at that. When I am really emotion-driven and there's a lot of stuff going on and it's chaos-oriented, I don't do as well structuring my environment. So a lot of our folks don't come to us with a structured environment. Uh, Some are unemployed. You know, some uh, have difficulty in their quality of life of keeping a job. So maybe their living arrangements aren't solid. They may have uh, chaotic uh, situations at at home we we work in our program with both uh, adults and adolescents so adolescents come in they're having big behaviors that are problematic to them and their family and then the family has trouble uh, not either trying to control too hard or giving in too often so we need to help structure that help structure that family environment and, and just so as you know when we have an adolescent in treatment Their parent, parents, caregiver, is their primary caregiver needs to be in DBT skills class with them. Um, You can't send your adolescent to us. You have to bring your adolescent to us. And you have a skills manual. They have a skills manual. You have homework. They have homework. Parents and kids or caregivers are learning the same skills at the same time. And that's been huge in uh, treatment. Um, Alec Miller Uh, developed the DBT program for suicidal adolescents, and it's all done in multifamily structure. The the adolescent has individual therapy, and then the family and the young person have multifamily skills group together so they can learn those things together. Other things that are structured in the environment, uh, we have to decide whether we're going to do, you know, consultation to the patient and get them to talk to their psychiatrist about a problem, coach them rehearse that, maybe make the phone call with them versus uh, case management where we're doing it for the client. DBT tends to lean toward consultation to the patient, uh, to the client, whatever you, you call your, your peeps. But it's, it's like we want to teach them how to structure their own environment, how to make their own appointments, how to solve their own problems. And yet sometimes there's a power differential that's great enough that we may need to do consultation for the patient. So it's finding that balance and that structure in the environment. So we want to have uh, in in the treatment itself. Individual therapy has a very very consistent structure. You start with with the same thing every time. You notice the 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 client's emotion. You look at that. You attend to it. You ask for you know a diary card, which is what we use to track target behaviors throughout the week. You know, and it goes through a very consistent. Uh, approach to that and ends in a particular way as well with assigning homework so um, skills group has a format we start with mindfulness we review homework from the last week we teach a new lesson and we assign homework so we try and start and stop everything on time because we're trying to model structuring okay so I think I've given you kind of big big kind of looking from the moon picture of what DBT is, uh, what it includes what the functions are, what the components of treatment are um, that we need pre-assessment and we don't go into treatment and contract for the first six months until we get that that um, commitment to do so. We look at stage one as as reducing those behavioral dysregulation, Problems. We want to decrease all of those life-threatening, therapy interfering, quality of life, interfering behaviors. And we also want to increase the skills that we're teaching. Core mindfulness, distress tolerance, interpersonal effectiveness, which is the ability to ask for what we want and say no effectively. The ability to uh, do emotion regulation, to regulate our emotions, to label our emotions to be able to reduce our vulnerabilities and reduce our suffering. Um, Distress tolerance is how do I be in a bad situation and not make it worse? That's on the acceptance side. I can't change this right now, but I need skills. Those 27 different categories of skills. And mindfulness, in order to be present either as a therapist or as a client and to do DBT, I have to be present. I have to be here with you in this room And so we do mindfulness at the beginning of every skills uh, training class, at the beginning of every staff meeting, at the beginning of every team meeting, and actually at the beginning of lots of individual therapy sessions. Because either I come in and I'm just coming off my last client and I need to come and be present and mindful with this new client. And a lot of our clients are coming out of a very busy traffic know difficult time in their career so let's get them in the room as well okay so let me tell you a little bit about what got me into DBT and a little bit about our uh, comprehensive program Um, I cut my teeth in kind of doing drug and alcohol work in East Los Angeles as I um, got out of my master's program and then moved to working with pregnant parenting addicts and then moved to working with young men in adolescent uh, residential care program who were aggressive. Uh, When I was there, we really struggled with, with these young men having a rough time kind of doing the revolving circuit between juvenile halls and foster care and group homes and in and out of home. And it just seemed like there wasn't an exit point until they either went to state prison or kind of got out of the system as adults and um so i was i was looking for something that would actually help them uh change what was going on in their life when i heard about dbt and it was totally by accident when i heard about it one of the things that a person said to me is you know this dbt stuff it's got some classes and one of them is uh stress tolerance and it's about how to be in a bad situation without making it worse well I took a look at that and I go, oh my gosh, these boys get in trouble at school and then they turn right around and get in trouble in the group home and then they turn right around and get in trouble with the probation officer. So I checked out DBT and found out it was for treating borderline personality disorder at that time and read a very difficult book called um, Cognitive Behavior Therapy for Borderline Personality Disorder written by Dr. Marsha Linehan, uh, published in 1993. And as I read that material, I started realizing these boys don't have the skill set to regulate their emotions, and then they do problem behaviors that gets them in a mess with the law, with their families, and and really difficult stuff. So I convinced our our CEO to um, take on DBT as a uh, as an approach, and our results were phenomenal. Our um, we we implemented it and over a 5 year period our peer to peer you know child to child assaults went down our staff peer conflict went uh, our staff uh, child conflict went down our uh, overall um, staff turnover for folks who work with these really really hard to serve and hard to treat kids went down by a third So we were pretty impressed with the data and I started recognizing how versatile this um, DBT really was. So in 2008, I decided to start building up my own um, program. We're a Choices Counseling and Skills Center in Sierra Madre, just east of Pasadena. Um, We offer both adult and adolescent comprehensive DBT we've kind of grown and, and dbt therapists require a lot of training so we've done a lot of training we also do training for other organizations uh, to help them get their dbt programs running um, this year i um, got my certification as a um, linehan certified clinician and my plan my, my interest and one of the things i'm hoping you guys will get interested in at some point in time is really adding these skills to your repertoire and those of you who find it to be as successful as I did in working with many, many different behaviors that are actually um, conditions of not being able to regulate emotion like adolescence and, and um, some of the, the violent anger problems that we see and substance abuse and those things, that this is a viable program that works. Our since we started the the DBT program here at Choices um, in 2010, we've had very few returns of people to the hospital. Uh, we've had people complete the program and actually change their lives and get lives worth living. Uh, they no longer wanted out of, of life. They wanted to live life. Um, I don't know that, and I've done a lot of fun stuff in my career, but I don't know that I've done any treatment approach that that brought me the level of success and fulfillment this one does. So I really encourage you guys to consider learning this as an important um, treatment. Um, and if you do, recognize that it's, it's going to take a lot of time, it's going to take a lot of training, and it's worth it. When I'm teaching about DBT, I get lots of questions from people who are interested in it or want to learn about it. And here's a few of the questions that I've been asked over time. Um, First one is, I've heard that DBT therapists are on call for their clients and take phone calls without hesitation whenever and wherever. Is this true? What is DBT's position about supporting clients in crisis? I get this question a lot. Phone coaching between sessions is one of the ways DBT therapists support generalization of new skills learned and support new, more adaptive behaviors in the client's real world uh, to replace you know, escape behaviors or maladaptive behaviors that haven't worked well for them to get them their life with living goals. We do offer phone coaching around the clock within reason and limits of the therapist. Now, all that being said, I have way fewer phone calls and phone time with clients since I became a DBT therapist than I ever did when doing other treatments. Part of that's because the coaching calls are strategic rather than being used as a solution for the client's uh, current crisis or problem at hand. So it's it's assisting the client to solve their problem rather than kind of being the solution to, to regulate them. So early in treatment, while we're doing assessment and when we're getting agreements on target behaviors, we orient clients about the function and the structure of coaching calls, and we encourage clients to to call their therapist for support when when appropriate. So coaching calls are generally offered for oh around four different reasons. First of all, to decrease suicidal or non-suicidal self-injury urges. Uh, Secondly, to provide clients with additional DBT skills to use prior to using their target behavior that is maladaptive. And we call this in DBT, one of the five functions of DBT is skills generalization. We want the clients to be able to practice in session, practice in skills group, and then generalize to their real world environment. And sometimes that takes a little extra coaching. Another reason we use phone coaching is to offer repair or clarification of a misunderstanding or a problem in the relationship with their primary therapist. Um, sometimes you know, interpretations happen, or frankly, sometimes therapists can unmeaningfully you know, be insensitive, and we encourage our clients to contact us to clean up and clear up any unresolved stuff that, that may get in the way of that therapeutic relationship. Uh, a lot of the folks that we work with in DBT have difficulties with um, managing their interpretations and sometimes they, they, they misunderstand and sometimes we as therapists basically miss, misspeak. So we encourage that. We want repair. And the last reason is for clients to report their progress, successes use of skills in real life. I love getting a a voicemail from a client that says, hey, guess what, Patty? I used my skill from Distress Tolerance, and it worked. So then we can offer um, reinforcement of using the skills. We can offer some cheerleading. of, See, I knew you could do it, and uh, use it as a, a way to reinforce ongoing work. So... Here's a distinction you need to know about. DBT coaching calls are not phone therapy. Um, Therapy is done in therapy. Coaching is done on the phone. Um, They tend to be limited to about 8 or 10 minutes and are very specific to the purpose of the coaching call. Specific protocols are used depending on the nature of the problem uh, for the calls. So example, calls related to suicidal um, impulses or... Uh, impulses for uh, non-suicidal self-injury. There are specific protocols we use on that call to assess for intent, plan, or access to lethal means uh, to contract for safety and develop a plan for safety and follow through. Uh, another reason uh, why why coaching is used. There may be some therapy interfering, therapy interfering uh, phone calls going on. Such as a client's calling and is maybe verbally abusive to the therapist, calling because they're lonely, um, seeking phone therapy, excessive calling to the therapist, um, and other things like that. Um, Coaching calls also are not used in DBT after the client has used suicidal or self-harming behaviors as target behaviors to solve their distress instead of a skill. Now, this is to avoid reinforcing life-threatening behaviors. We do make sure the client's safe. Uh, Coaching calls are specific to the client's target behaviors. Um, We provide phone coaching worksheets for our clients to fill out prior to contacting the therapist um, so that they can already have a list of skills to use, give them a try, and then um, call for coaching if those don't work. Sometimes we'll ask the client to try a scale maybe for 15 minutes and then then call for coaching. Uh, Clients are also informed that the therapist will do their best to get back to a client as soon as possible, but we can't guarantee immediate response. We can't be their their crisis response service in that that moment. I do my very best to get back to my clients, but sometimes I'm behind closed doors with other clients, and they need to know that. Sometimes I'm training. And they need to know that, that I will get back to them as soon as I possibly can. But it could be a couple of hours or longer. And not to see the call as the, the thing that's going to um, uh, re-regulate them. So sometimes just reaching out and taking action uh, works for, for clients to be able to help them know that, that they've reached out to their therapist and, uh, and then that we encourage them to go back to their skills book and look for other things they can use while they're waiting. But I ask my people that, that I work with uh, to contract with me that they're not going to do uh, high level target behaviors un- unless we have, you know, we-, we-, we need to talk first. So I usually can get an agreement and, um, and the clients want to learn more adaptive skills. So that's, that's phone coaching. I think it's, it scares therapists off a little bit that are afraid they're going to have to be on call 24-7. and We do provide that coaching, but it really is way less than what I did when uh, I did regular uh, different types of therapy. So another question. Is DBT a psychoeducational model or an insight model? And the answer is neither. DBT or dialectic behavior therapy is a modification of standard a cognitive behavioral treatment that was developed by Marsha Linehan, um, and her her first book for that came out in 1993. It had lots of randomized controls and other other research that supports its use. It includes DBT includes components of cognitive behavior therapy with a the focus on change as CBT does, and it also adds in acceptance strategies and skills to enhance the connection with the therapist, and validation of where the client is currently with regard to their emotional pain and, and circumstances. Um, therapies that are totally change-based sometimes uh, don't feel supportive to people who have big emotions. Uh, therapies that are too acceptance oriented um, often don't feel like we're making progress. So Marsha Linehan kind of took acceptance and change and then look for a synthesis of that, which is the dialectic strategies that's used in DBT, hence dialectical behavior therapy. Now the question here, how does DBT treatment prioritize treatment goals when many clients who are in DBT treatment have simultaneously occurring significant functional problems? Yeah, that's true. It is common for clients attending DBT to have multiple problems or multiple diagnoses, Um, We collaborate with the client at the beginning of treatment to get a commitment on where to start in treatment. The DBT treatment hierarchy treats in order of priority, kind of similar to what an emergency room would do. The hierarchy starts with behaviors to decrease. Um, Stage one of treatment includes the following. Decreasing any behavior that threatens life. So, life-threatening behavior to selves or others. Uh, these are behaviors that could lead to death and are targeted, and it includes all forms of suicidal thoughts, communication, um, non-suicidal self-injury, um, and other behaviors engaged that, that are, are for the purpose of causing bodily harm, if you will. Second thing we target hierarchically is therapy-interfering behaviors. Now, these include any behaviors that interfere with the client receiving effective treatment. These behaviors can be on the part of the client or the therapist, such as coming to session late, canceling appointments, being non-collaborative in session, or non-collaborative in working toward treatment goals. So those can be targeted right after we get rid of the life-threatening behaviors. The reason DBT targets that as a second priority is that if the treatment isn't getting into the client we're not gonna have any success in treatment we've got to get that dosage in so we treat it rather than calling it resistance we treat it as a problem to be solved and we target it and get agreement with the client that look we gotta get you to session on time because we don't have time to deal with all the important stuff that you're bringing uh, if we have a shortened session or when when they get canceled third uh, we target reducing quality of life behaviors these categories uh, include other types of behavior that interfere with the clients having reasonable quality of life. These are things like severe relationship problems, housing, uh, job-related difficulties that create problems with financial stability or life stability, and life structuring crises where folks really struggle getting to and from places in life and and life management, time management, that kind of executive functioning piece. And so those are things we're gonna decrease. What we're increasing in that first stage of treatment during that that hierarchy is we're increasing the skills that the clients need to replace ineffective behaviors and to help them achieve their goals that they've identified that they wanna work toward. These include mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness skills that we teach in the skills class, plus problem-solving skills and self-regulation skills that we teach across the board and individual. So here are just a couple of few questions that we get asked. Any of you can feel free to contact me anytime to get other information that you may want about DBT. I wish you a peaceful and mindful rest of your day. Take care.